We are still taking a break from our ser- series in John, which we, we go through our, the Gospel of John, and we're, we know have only one chapter left, but we've been in that situation for a few, a few weeks now because of Matt's concussion and their sickness. So we're still waiting for him to be well, and we pray for his swift recovery. And uh, he is, I think, almost as eager as us, if not more, to come back and preach the end of Gospel of John to us. Today, then, we will look at a text in Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. So, the last Lord's Day, we looked at a portion in the book of Colossians, where Paul paints for us this picture of Christ who creates and steps into his creation, but that he is preeminent over it all. He is Lord over all, and he's Lord before all. He is Lord in and over the church, and it is this Lord who has saved you. And we looked at them, how, our, how magnificent our Savior is. In this text, we will sort of look at the behind the scenes of what we have read about in John these weeks, these months, that this shows what the salvation was, what the redemption work was, and how it happened and why it happened. So this is the, why the, we have chosen this sermon text for today. We will see the behind the scenes, the explanation of Jesus' work, and uh, as Paul calls this a mystery. We will look at what's this mystery. And all of what Paul is saying here, the main point I want you to take home is verse 6. Of, I want you to take home all of it, but if you only take one thing, take this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises or promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, which is the main point of the text. And we will see how Paul lays this out for us. We will look at this mystery of God's plan and man's place in it. And I've titled this sermon, The Mystery of God's Redemptive Plan Revealed. The Mystery of God's Redemptive Plan Revealed. And I see Paul making two major thoughts in this portion. So I have two main points which is how we try to do it. Uh, We see the text, we let it speak for itself, and we structure our sermon according to the text. Not that uh, there's a joke that most Baptists always have a three-point sermon. That's not always true for us, but we look at the sermon text, and we try to build our sermon around and according to it. And uh, I see Paul making two major points here in this portion. The first is verses 1 to 6, where it's the gospel makes Gentile fellow sorry, Gentiles, fellow heirs. And the second is that 7 to 13, the unsearchable riches of Christ revealed in the church. And I'll get back to them as we come to them. So the first point then, verses 1 to 6, the gospel makes Gentiles fellow heirs. The gospel makes Gentiles fellow heirs. In the last text that we looked at, Colossians last week, Paul gives this wonderful poem, almost like a, bu- like a bulk of text, and it's all just a, a poem of God's greatness and what he's done and all the magnificence of his name and that he is all overall and before all, and he's preeminent. He is the highest one. And in this text, it's more a thought that we trace. Uh, Paul gives his two points majorly, but it's just one line almost like from the beginning to the end. And as I try to trace the thoughts, 
It's like boom, okay, and then it just goes on and on and on. He gives an argument, and he he gives his reasons for it, and he draws conclusions from it. So we will look at this today. So the first is, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, show the mystery, uh, show how, show the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, verses five, which was made known to the, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the, by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And it's interesting that in the first line, for this reason, he's not giving us a reason. He's not giving it a reason in this text, even. Paul is not giving it until verse 14, which is outside our text. And uh, the reason why I've divided it up as I have is if I included 14, then I would have to include all of it, all of chapter 3. But we will see how this portion itself is important. But to give you the reason, he says in verse 14, he's, he's known for giving long points, Paul. He says that Paul, Paul bows the knees before the Father because he's so thankful that God has, because of the riches of his glory, included people from every family on earth. So it's like he's saying, for this reason, blah, blah, blah. For this reason, he's emphasizing it, that this is the reason that he bows his knees to the Father. So this bulk that we will look at today is what he's thankful for. And he concludes it by, for this reason, starts it, and concludes it by, for this reason. And we will now look at what this is the inclusion of all peoples into God's family. So in Ephesians 1, just to give some context, Paul speaks of the blessings that Jesus has given us as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, as he adopted us. In chapter 2, Paul goes on to say that before the foundation, that he, well, sorry, verse 1, chapter 1 is that they, before the creation of the world, he chose us. Paul 2, in chapter 2, Paul goes on to say that for grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And by this he says that the fact that we are saved is not because of our own doing, but it's the great gift that God has given to us. And this, by faith, is the great mystery that he will describe for us now in chapter 3. So Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... He's sitting in, Rome, in Roman imprisonment under house arrest. And um, during the daytime, he was generally free to move about uh, around the house with supervision of the soldiers that was there. They were just keeping him within the house in his house arrest. But by night, he was actually shackled to another Roman soldier to make sure that he did not escape before his trial. So he says that he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome. He is, he is sure that in his mind he was not a prisoner of Caesar. He was a prisoner of Christ. He knew that it was not Caesar who held his destiny, but it was Christ who held his destiny in his hand. And by sitting in prison, Paul was able to write extensively to the church abroad 
giving multiple letters from his imprisonment. And the book of Ephesians is a letter to a church in Ephesus, also then later being distributed to other churches. So some say that it's, it's not just necessarily just to Ephesus, but it's for many churches. And he's sitting there because of the work that he did on behalf of the Gentiles. He preached the gospel. And uh, this led him to be a prisoner. But it didn't stop him from writing scripture. And God would bring these words to Ephesus and later on to us as well. And he is joyful even that he says that in, later in chapter 6, he will term it as an ambassador in chains. For what? A prisoner, an ambassador in chains. In Philippians 1.7, Paul says, that It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. In Paul's mind, there's no, no, no one who does not advance the kingdom of God. You're not allowed almost to be a, just an idle body. You're all, he includes everyone in the gospel. He says that we are, you are all partakers of me in the grace by the defense and imprisonment and confirmation of the gospel. So even though they are free and he's imprisoned, he calls them all to be ambassadors in chains for Christ. And toward the end of our text this morning, we, he will call all Ephesians not to lose heart over what he is suffering. And over in Colossians 1.24, just to borrow something from Colossians, he says that he rejoices in this suffering, that he is imprisonment for the church. So by his imprisonment, he is joyful in it because by it, he can preach by letter to the church. To this, he says earlier in Ephesians 1.10, because this is part of the fullness, the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in, in him, Jesus. So Paul wants them not to feel sorry for him because he views this imprisonment as the great workings of God as he then can make the word of God fully known to them. This is all to say that Paul assumes that they've heard about who he is and what he's, he's doing and also who he was. He, um, he was given the stewardship of God's grace. And this Paul, who stood by Christians as they were stoned, he held the jackets of other Jews so that they could take their jackets off and then easier all their clothes or uh, capes or their garments so that they, they could easier stone Christians and Paul stood by and held their clothes and yes this is this is right and later on also he he goes to the high priests to get a cert to get a certificate of uh, authorship uh, authority so that he can imprison Christians and he says that um, he has this seal he's working he was working tirelessly to get the early day Christians imprisoned and killed. And this Paul, who later met Jesus, and now, and for the rest of his life, is imprisoned, as he once tried to imprison others. But he is not imprisoned, in his mind, in a jail, but he's imprisoned to the fact that Jesus came and claimed him. So he's a prisoner of Christ. 
as he once tried to imprison Christians in jail, where he now sarcastically, or I don't know if sarcastically is the right word, but he now, as fate by God would deem it, he's now in prison himself. And how, he says, the mystery was known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. This is part of the assuming that you've heard prior. Paul is saying, what I'm giving you is not my own clever words, but it is what I've been given to give by direct revelation from God. Wonderful and weird, in a sense, that God would choose this Hebrew uh, Pharisee, a persecutor of the church to be the main or at least one of the main but some say the main minister of what we will uncover here in this text the mystery of the work of the gospel by bringing jews and gentiles into one new body and this revelation we can read about in acts 22 and acts 25 where it relates to us that while paul was praying in the temple in jerusalem he fell into this trance it says um not that we <laughs> not that we practice that, that uh, we don't try to, for- to force a trance to be spiritual, but Paul was just praying and God visited him there. And it says that while he was there, God appeared to him saying, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles, and, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to point you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and that you have... Uh, to witness the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from, the peop- from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from, their dark- to the- from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this is the... the uh, what he's been given to do, this stewardship, that he is a steward of, um, I don't know if you've seen the Lord of the Rings. It's a, so in one of the countries, Gondor, there's not a king. The king is gone, and there's a steward of his rule, his throne. He's not the king, but he uh, is there in place of the king. He's holding it tentatively. It's like it's his, but I'm just taking care of it for now. In the sense, Paul is the steward of this gospel that he has been given from God, that he's to hold it not as his own gospel, but as Christ's gospel and to give it out, commanded by God. Here we also see what this mystery is then, that all might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus, as we read in our Old Testament text, that all peoples will gather onto this mountain, speaking then as the salvation of Israel and the world to this mountain. Mount Zion is the picture of God's kingdom, God's promises, God's redemption. And we are just following his thoughts here, running along the lines, as I said. In, his first, in this first point, verses 1 to 6, there's the, the, the gospel makes Gentiles fellow heirs. There are two thoughts in it, two sub-thoughts. The first is that Paul, this prisoner of Christ, has on behalf of these Gentiles, assuming that they have heard of that God made him steward of this, bringing to them the mystery of God's grace to them. And this is the why he's writing to them. And the second line of his thought is the what, what he's writing to them. Verse 4 then in our text. When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not known made to, 
made known to the sons of men in other generations, and as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he transitions from the why to the what. With when you read this, you can see what I saw about this mystery, sort of to say, this mystery of Christ. And Paul uses this word mysterion, this mystery of a totally 21 times in his writings in the New Testament and six times in this letter being the letter where mystery has been used most times. And um, this mystery is in the Bible used of Christ's redemption that includes Gentiles. And here in Ephesians, the accent, the, uh, the way of it, is there something wrong with the They're not listed here. Okay. And uh, sorry about that. Um, in Paul's time, mystery is not this puzzle box that you need to figure out this, this, um, this quiz, if you would, that you just need to figure out. A mystery was something that was a secret. It was locked. It was hidden until the, the correct time to reveal it. So it's not a mystery that, mm, I need to figure this out. It was hidden by intention for a time, and uh, it is then to be revealed. Uh, William, William D. Mounts, the author of my Greek uh, book, says that it is a matter, to the knowledge, a matter to the knowledge of which initiation is necessary. You can't just figure it out. You need to be initiated into it. You need to be given it a secret which would remain such but for revelation. So if some, it's revealed, then it's no longer a mystery. But until it's revealed, then it remains a mystery. No one will know what it is. So there's, not a, there's no understanding. There's like It's incomprehensible. It's not that thought. It's the more, we don't know what it is. It's a mystery to us. It was a mystery until God, in the fullness of time, chose to reveal it to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery of God, then, is the revelation of God's redemptive plan. It is revealed, then, that through the work that Jesus did, God joined believing Jews and Gentiles, believing Gentiles, into this new spiritual family or this new spiritual entity that is now called the church. And this information was for the church. Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was Jerusalem was the city. Judea was the country. Samaria was the region and the ends of the earth. So, so it's not just for Israel and for the people of the Jews, but it was for the ends of the earth. It was for all people to know this. There is just following the nope. And Isaiah forty nine six says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servants to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
speaking of Christ. This was how was now to be revealed to Paul for the edification of the church. It was so that he could see the message and the work that Jesus, the Jew, performed was also for the non-Jew. It was not made to the sons of men in other generations, but it had now been known to the, his apostles and prophets, meaning the 11 or the 12, the closer, the, the closest disciples, and also for the extended circle, in a sense, to all who are called his lowercase prophets. Not that there are more apostles or prophets in the church, as in biblical times, but we are messengers of his word, that Jews and non-Jews, the two distinctions in biblical language, are now made one. It's not a, no longer this division of this is Israel and everybody else is out there. Now it's all peoples who are gathered into God by the work of Jesus. Jesus makes this known to all peoples, that peoples of all language and tribes and nations can become members of the same body, fellow heirs and partakers of the promise of in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied. In the New Testament, it was realized. So the, to conclude, the first point then is that Paul suffered for the gospel because it was an affront to the Romans that he portrayed Jesus as the one supreme being. Romans didn't care if you prayed to one more God, but you had to pray to their gods mainly. And then you can add every other God that you wanted. But the message of the cross is that Jesus is the only God, and all others are void. And it was an affront to the Jews that this, these unclean Gentiles were included in salvation, and even more, they were included in the same promises as the Jews had held. They'd been the sole receivers of this, these promises, and also for foreigners who came in by and by during the gospel. But now all Gentiles and all Jews are now saved in the same manner. And was an, it was an affront to the legalistic and puristic Jews, the, the Judaism that ruled in, in Jesus' day. And Paul says that this is the great mystery of the ages, that the Gentiles are included in the ransom that Jesus paid on the cross, as we have seen now, and that the gospel makes Gentiles fellow heirs. And this was wonderful news to the Ephesians, and it is wonderful news to us, that in the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, we, the Gentiles, as it says, we, Gentiles is just a term for non-Jews at that time. And we are also all non-Jews. Well, I, I assume most of us are also all non-Jews. But we all, Gentiles, got this message. And beloved, it was because of Paul's letter, Paul's ministry by the Spirit, that we can be included in the same Spirit. And there's nothing less than the one true God of the universe who has included us also into the family of God. How? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Do you believe this? For with one with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you confess this? Then know that you are justified because of what Jesus did on the cross. This mystery that was hidden, but now this ministry of the Holy Spirit is and has continually revealed it to men that these generations, it says, 
It was the good news 2,000 years ago, and it is still the good news for today. Galatians 3.29 says then, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, as we are all now because of Christ. My second point then, looking at verses 7 to 13. The unsearchable riches of Christ revealed in the church. The unsearchable riches of Christ revealed in the church. And it reads, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan for the mystery hidden in ages, for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Of this gospel, Paul was made a minister. And it was according to the gift of God's grace, which was the power in him working, Paul, incredulous, almost in disbelief, it seems to in this text, that I, even I, the least of his servants, the one who persecuted and killed and imprisoned, or at least led to the death of his followers. And he is now turned 180 around to be allowed to give this wonderful message of peace to those whom he formerly persecuted. So I can see in sense that I am the very least. Why me? And by this, the, the grace of Christ was revealed. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ as to as Paul says in Colossians 1, 25-27, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And reading in, continuing in Colossians 1, 25-27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Minister here. The word diakonos was the server or the waiter at, say, a restaurant. I quoted MacArthur a little while back saying that the minister's job is not to make this fancy meal to serve you. It is, as MacArthur says, to bring what is already there to you without messing it up and without tripping and fumbling it all about so that we bring the God's word to you because my words mean nothing in comparison to God's word who is gospel, who is truth, who is the ultimate truth. To me, this, I am the minister of this gospel according to, the God's, to God's grace. And uh, Paul then was surely grateful beyond compare in that he had been the chief persecutor of Christians, but now he gets to serve them the mystery of God, which he formerly tried to stomp out. This was all out of grace and all for showing how great, wa- great grace was and is. The preaching he was to do then was to announce good news to them 
the good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to Gentiles, this was really, really good news. While it hardened some of Israel, it was scandalous to them. And um, I don't know if you've seen the Hobbit movie, but the Hobbit movie written by Tolkien, uh, well, movie made from the book, of course. This is this scene where this main character, Bilbo Baggins, this adventurer, he steps into a dragon's lair, and he's sent out to find this one special gem. And he goes in and he sees, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven gold coins. That's a heap of maybe 200. Oh, that's a big heap. That's probably 1,000 coins. Oh, there's a mountain of coins here. And he's trying to look for this one special jewel. He just sees, and the movie portrays this whole theaters, like this magnificent hoard of money and jewels and precious items. And he is to search for this one tiny little gem. In this ocean of treasure, he was almost stunned. And he was almost, uh, he was almost giving up, it seems. But then the movie so shows that he finds it. But it was almost unsearchable, this amount of riches, because it was so great that you couldn't find what you were looking for if you had spent 100 years looking for it. It was unsearchable because of its size. Or if you're a diver and you're looking for shells and you're just swimming in the ocean, passing reef upon reef upon reef, and all of it's covered in seaweed and other plants so that you're just looking at this vast ocean with these reefs and you're trying to find something in it. And because of the sheer size of it, the sheer magnitude of it, it's unsearchable in a sense because how to look, where to look. And it goes on for miles and miles. The sheer size of it makes it unsearchable. Or if you're standing on the seashore and trying to count grains of sand, you could scoop up a, like sand in your hand, and you can try with a, like a small pin and just divide them up, like one, two, three, four, five, six, and by the end you have lost count of just what is in your hand. And then you look up and you see this beach going on for tens, hundreds, thousands of meters. This speck that you're looking at it's unsearchable this beach and uh, this is very familiar to us this language of sand and unsearchable I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is in the, on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies Genesis twenty-two seventeen, and also this picture in Psalm Hundred and thirty-nine. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than sand. Here we see two things that are unsearchable or uncountable: the offspring, in the New Testament, spiritually said, of the offspring of Abraham, as we read. How vast the sum of them, and the sand on the seashore. How vast are God's thought. They are unsearchable. And in this, we see the unsearchable riches of Christ. The grace that was so large that Paul was not just forgiven. He was raised up to serve the Lord. So beloved, so beloved, if you, have ever, if you ever feel like you're down in sin, if you're messed up, if you can't figure a way out of your situation, or if something is just keeping you down in the valley of darkness, Know that there's unsearchable riches of Christ for you. 
in this text and in the Bible, there's unsearchable riches that you can search for the grace of the Lord. And to quote Charles Spurgeon, I am bold to tell you that my master's riches of grace are so unsearchable that he delights to forgive and forget enormous sins. The bigger the sin, the more glory to his grace. If you're ever head over ears in debt, he is rich enough to discharge your liabilities. If you're ever at the gates of hell, he's able to pluck you from the jaws of destruction. Hell, then I think he says both to damnation, but also in, in the, the valley of the shadow of death. Run to him and find him to be unsearchable in his riches. He is a gracious Lord. Moving on to verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Again here, this is for all, for everyone. God, who created all things, who waited to reveal his plan of redemption, did in Jesus reveal to all people so that all people could come to him through his Son. So 7 to 12, we're looking at, it's just a whole line of thought going on. It's divided up, but it's a long thought line where it's working itself out because of God's grace to Paul. He is the minister of the gospel, these good news. And by God's power, although he felt like he was the least deserving of all, he was saved and he was allowed to preach to the Gentiles who God is and the unsearchable riches of Christ to reveal the plan for all ages to all people. And verse 10, so that, in order that, because to do this through the church, the manifold wisdom of God was to be revealed. That the manifold wisdom of God might known to be known, uh, might now be made known to, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. God is showing up and he's showing off of his glory. It is through creating and sustaining his people, the church, and this is the manifold or complex or intricate manifold wisdom of God. The glory of the, of the church, then, is God's glory. And so by and through the body of believers in the world, us included, he testifies to the wonders of all of creation. This is what we get to be part of. This is almost unbelievable that we here sitting in our, this, these pews or gathering in our, in our churches, singing, fellowshipping, we are being shown forth by God as this, look at my glory. This is what we are a part of. As we live with one another, as we love one another, as we serve one another, God is pointing to it and see, this is the manifold wisdom of my glory. This, the church, look at it. And he says, that he is showing it to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. As if God is saying, look, look at this. Look at my body, the church. Look at the saints in First Presbyterian Church. This is my glory and God shows it off. And he's, he's showing up and he's showing off to the authorities in the heavenly places. This is my glory, he says. And God is looking at us right now, every day, and now... I draw your attention to, and what we're doing, what we're here for, who we are, what has been done in us and through us in our hearts, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are shown forth as living glory to God. It's no small thing. 
Don't ever think that Christianity is just a boring thing that we do on Sundays. And as some of my friends have uh, taunted me with during my life, like, when you go to heaven, you're just going to sit there and eat waffles and drink coffee. No. We are now living glory of Christ. And it's no small thing to be the glorious objects in the sense of our Lord. We were helpless, and he picked us up, and he receives, receives glory for it. And if this wants you to feel haughty or proud, that, <laughs> look at me, I'm the glory of God. We were sinners, we were lost, we were frail, and he saved us undeservingly. So the glory, then, as the, uh, the one of the Psalms we sang, all glory goes to him, not the, where is it? There it is. The one who boasts and boasts in the Lord, not in your own self, not in your own accomplishments, because it was by God's grace that we have been saved, it? not by ourselves. So these onlookers then, those who spectate what is happening, is authorities and rulers in the heavenly places. And as Paul writes in later in chapter 6 of the same book, verse 10, 12, he says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are angelic beings. And here also, or especially the evil side of them, maybe also the, and also the good side of it, the good, the angels, the bad, the fallen one, fallen ones, it is as God is showing them, the fallen ones, they who wanted to usurp God's power for themselves. They thought that their plan was better. And God is, I don't want to say taunt, but he is showing them like, this is the manifold wisdom of my glory. Not what you thought you could do, but this. Look at these frail human beings who are created in my being, in my image. They are my glory. And he's making us righteous. He takes this, he says, like, he's doing this with these weak, frail, sinful people. And he's making them, he's, I'm making them beautiful. That's, he says, he's making us righteous. Someone I know uh, once said that he thinks that heaven will be different for everybody. Heaven will be heaven for the individual. What they portray heaven to be. And I told them that it depends on whose heaven you want. And if you're going there. However heaven will be, it will be according to one's, one person's, well, person, if you get me right, one plan. And it will all be determined by him, the ancient of days, and his manifold wisdom. And we, and who are we to want heaven to be what we want, instead of what he wants? And the same is true for the angels. Who gave God counsel? Who helped him figure out how to do it? Not the angels, not us. But in this, God is showing his plan for the history of the universe and for all creation and the created beings in them and the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. And in a sense, you could pull that it's also for the authorities and the powers of the economic and the political structure, but that is not his point. 
we are automatically doing this by belonging to his plan. But here Paul's point is that it's to the angelic beings outside of creation. But it will lead to us also showing it to our fellow men. But the point is the, the powers that be. And verse 11 then ends this, all of this that we have looked at, this mystery, the glory of God in the church, the showing off of his wisdom was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He has realized, he has accomplished, it is done and it's continually doing what is, was meant to work out. It is finished and it's just finishing at the same time. It's not, it's now and the not yet, as it says. It is true and it works itself, it works itself out to shown to be true, but it's finished already. And the finishing of it is what verse 12 says, in whom? In Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence, with confidence, and with confidence, like sureness, Assuranceness that we can, through faith in him, come to the Father. He who died on the cross for the sins of his people, he rose from the dead and he crushed the power of death. And he who ascended to heaven and is worthy to open the scroll in the Father's hand, as we looked at in the text in Revelation a few weeks ago, in him we have faith. So boldness also and access to God's throne. It's this Freedom of speech, the Greek word. Freedom to come to the Father and speak to him without fear, without shame, because we have received Christ's righteousness, not our own. And Paul then ends, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is so fired up about this. So the last thing he wants is that people go go around crying for him or feeling sad or worrying about him Paul says do not lose hope do not lose heart because this is magnificent this is awesome and Paul is seeing him being a part of working this plan out as he in his suffering he wrote scriptures to for us to read and so we all the recipients of the letter of Ephesians can get to see the fullness of God's plan the unsearchable riches of Christ revealed in the church let us pray